Welcome to Searchlight, a survey through Scripture with Pastor John Corson. It is our desire to bring you a systematic study of the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. On our last program, we began a final teaching in the book of Joshua, but from a different perspective, a prophetic perspective. We have spent quite some time seeing that the book of Joshua is a picture of the Spirit-filled Christian life. But in this last teaching, we are also seeing that it is a prophetic picture of the coming of the Lord. Pastor John shared with us last time some parallels between Joshua and the prophetic picture outlined in the Bible. First, the names Joshua and Jesus are essentially the same name. Next, we saw that both of them deal with usurpers in the land. Joshua dealt with them in the promised land, and Jesus will deal with them in the tribulation. And in both cases, there would be the same number of nations driven out of the land. As we continue the study today, John is talking about a picture in the book of Joshua of the Antichrist. Here now is Pastor John. We see in Joshua chapter 10 this character appearing called Adonai Zedek. This is the picture of Antichrist. Adonai Zedek is the king of Jerusalem, we are told in Joshua chapter 10, verse 1. Adonai Zedek, what a name. It means literally the Lord of righteousness. He's the Lord of righteousness. And where does he rule from? Jerusalem, which is the city of peace. Jehovah is peace. Shalom. Salam. Jerusalem. The Lord of righteousness. The king of peace. The Antichrist is going to appear to be righteous and a man of peace. In fact, the book of Daniel says he, by peace or through peace, that's his methodology to bring about destruction. But he'll appear as a man of peace, but he's an antichrist. He's a false leader, but he is coming across as a righteous one. Now, Adonai Zedek, what an interesting name for for a pagan king. The Lord of righteousness. He's the picture of the antichrist. Now, there was another guy who was king of Salem who was not a false entity. He appears way back in the story of Genesis in the days of Abraham. His name was not Adonai Zedek, but Melchizedek. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem, we are told. Melchizedek, the book of Hebrews tells us, is in reality either an incredible picture of Jesus Christ or as I believe personally, He is an incarnate appearance of Christ. That is, it is Christ appearing in the Old Testament. 
Melchizedek, be that as it may, Melchizedek is the real deal. If you're not aware of that, you can check out uh, Hebrews chapter 7 later on. So you have Melchizedek, who is Christ, I believe, or at the very least, if one doesn't agree with that position, he is the ultimate quintessential illustration or type. Melchizedek, having no mother, no father, no he, different characters he's described there in the book of Hebrews. Righteous man. And when he met Abraham, this Melchizedek, remember he gave to Melchizedek tithes? Abraham gave him tithes and worshipped him? And Melchizedek gave to Abraham bread and wine, the symbols of communion. Incredible. Now this guy appears like Melchizedek, but he's not the real deal. He's an antichrist. He's a false Christ, if you would. Adonai Zedek. And watch what he does. He makes war here in chapter 10, if you're there. If not, just listen. When Adonai Zedek had heard what had been done to Jericho, and verse 1 goes on to say, how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel, then Adonai Bezek gathers a coalition of kings, verse 3, come up with me, verse 4, and the we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua. Why is Adonai Zedek ticked off? Because what's the deal? He says, I'm upset. He gets this group of kings, a coalition, a group, nations, to wage war against who? It says here, exactly, to wage war against Gibeon. Why? Because the Gibeonites had made peace with who? Joshua. Remember the story? Joshua chapter 9. Now stay with me here. In Joshua 9, the Gibeonites believed. They heard about Joshua. And they heard about the people of Israel. And how they were experiencing victory and that God was with them. So the men of Gibeon said, we don't want to get wiped out. We want to be on your side. So they tricked Joshua. Remember? They sent men to Joshua with ragged clothes and dry wineskins and crusty bread. Remember the story? If you don't read chapter 9. And they fooled Joshua and the guys by saying, oh, we come from a far country, but we want to make peace with you. Joshua later on discovered, not too many days later, that whoa, these guys aren't from a far country. They're just right over the next hill. They're part of this territory. But Joshua would not destroy them because the Gibeonites made peace with Joshua. No wonder Antichrist is upset with the Gibeonites, Adonai Zedek. In the tribulation period, in that seven-year period when when the wrath of the Lamb is being poured out when Jesus is involved, when God is judging. Seven years in the tribulation, Revelation 6 through 19, a bunch of people are going to be like the Gibeonites. They're going to believe. They're going to say, we didn't believe when those folks from Applegate were talking to us or when those Christians were sharing with us. Or when we were handed that book left behind, it seemed like a fairy tale, they might say. But in the tribulation, many multiplied millions are going to become 
believers. Antichrist will wage war against them. Just like Adonai Zedek here in chapter 10 says, those Gibeonites, they are now on Joshua's side. We can't allow that. And Adonai Zedek declares war on the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites are a picture, a type of those who get saved during the tribulation period. Not you and me. We're in heaven during that season. But on the earth, those who are saved, they're Gibeonites. Now, what happened to the Gibeonites? Adonai Zedek says, we're going to destroy them. But who stood up for them? Joshua did. But because of their position, the Gibeonites, listen, the Gibeonites became believers, if you would, in Joshua, when Joshua was in that seven-year period of driving out the usurpers, paralleling with the tribulation period, they had a different standing, didn't they? What were the Gibeonites to do from that point on, throughout all the history of Israel, they became known as the Nephilims. I mean, the Nethanims, pardon me, thank you, not the Nephilims, those are the giants. The Nethanims. And they had a role to play all throughout the history of the Old Testament. These descendants from the Gibeonites, their job was to carry water, and their job was to hew wood for the temple. The people that get saved in the tribulation are going to be in a different category too. Revelation chapter 7, in talking about those who get saved in the tribulation period, one of the elders, verse 13, answered me, John says, who are these which are arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And John said, I don't know. Verse 14, I'll I'll just read it to you. And this elder said, these are they which came out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night. In his temple, verse 15 says. Now these that come to faith in the tribulation and die because Antichrist wages war against them, just like Adonai Zedek in chapter 10 wages war against the Gibeonites. These ones that die in the tribulation, but they now believe in Jesus. They remember the things you shared, and they open up their hearts to him. They go to heaven, but they're not the bride of Christ like you, like me, like us. They're in heaven, but they're like those that were of Gibeon's descendants, the Nethanims. They serve in the temple, it says here, just like the Nethanims did. They're in heaven. They're thrilled to be there. Nobody's going to be complaining being in heaven no matter what your state is, believe you me. But they're not reigning with Christ. They're not the bride of Christ. They're in a different category. And there they serve him in his temple night and day. So we see an incredible parallel. The Antichrist is seen here in Joshua, in type, in picture, Adonai Zedek, who's ticked off that the Gibeonites sided with Joshua. The Gibeonites, a picture of those that get saved in the tribulation period. The Gibeonites, the ones that served in the temple, just like the tribulation Christians 
the ones that get saved in the tribulation will have a different position in heaven than you have because they waited till then. They didn't believe by faith like you do, like I have, like we are, but they waited until they could see angels flying across the sky and prophets speaking in Jerusalem and miracles and signs and wonders. And that's wonderful that they believed then, but because they believed then, they're in a different category. They're not in the same exalted position that you're in, that I'm in, that we're in, because we chose to believe, not having seen with our eyes those things. Thomas, Jesus said, you've seen and believed. You've seen my wounds, Jesus said, but blessed is the man Blessed is the one who hasn't seen and yet has believed, you see. So the Gibeonites, the Nethanims, servers in the temple, paralleling perfectly those that are saved in the tribulation. And they too will serve in the heavenly temple day and night, you see. Now, in Joshua, we see the Antichrist, Adonai Zedek. We see the tribulation saints, the Gibeonites. That is, the Nethanims, the servers, who Joshua covenanted with and stood up for, but they would be servants from that point on throughout their history. We see the nations, seven in number, and and led by Adonai Zedek in, in his war, you see, against those that were now siding with Joshua. Earlier in the book, in Joshua chapter 2, We see at the very beginning of this whole unfolding of the tribulation, the seven-year preparation for the coming and establishing of the Israeli nation. Joshua, seven years leading the way, just like the wrath of the Lamb, takes seven years in totality in, in the revelation plan. Two spies were sent in in Joshua chapter 2. Two spies were sent. Two spies that were actually, as we talked about in Joshua chapter 2, not so much spying out the lamb, but they were sent in as what? Witnesses. Because there was a woman who needed to hear named Rahab. Two witnesses. Does that ring a bell for you students of Revelation? Remember in Revelation 11, two witnesses are going to appear. Probably Elijah and Moses. And you're saying, how do you get that? Get the tape or get my commentary. (laughs) But two witnesses shall appear, and these two witnesses shall share the truth on the streets of Jerusalem. But these two witnesses were sent in to share the truth. And Rahab said, we've heard stuff about you folks and about your God. And those two witnesses in Joshua chapter 2 said, You can be saved and your family too, but here's what you must do. Hang a scarlet cord out your window. The scarlet cord, the bloodline that runs from cover to cover in the scriptures. It's all about the blood of the lamb and about the work that he's done. These two witnesses in Joshua 2, like the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, gave hope. And understanding and salvation was offered. But, but remember what happened? The king of Joshua, uh, the king of Jericho, where these two witnesses went and shared with Rahab, 
heard about these two guys, these two spies. And Rahab hid the two spies on the top of her roof underneath some flax and then sent them away where they were hiding out in the mountains for three days. In Revelation 11, the two spies are also going to be sought out to be destroyed. And they're going to be killed on the streets of Jerusalem. And just like those spies in Joshua chapter 2 were hidden away in the mountains for three days, do you recall how long the two witnesses in Revelation 11 lie in the streets of Jerusalem as corpses? How long? Three days. See? Everything parallels exactingly. After three days, they do what? Rise again. And the world, all the world is going to see. Now, for many, many years, people thought, how could that possibly be? And you read old commentaries. It's funny because the old commentaries speculating, well, how could it be that the whole world is going to see two guys rise from the dead on the streets of Jerusalem? And then came CNN. Now it's obvious, of course, the whole world is going to see when these two witnesses, like these two in Joshua 2, three days they were hidden, three days these guys are dead, but they rise again. And we see this picture of the two witnesses there paralleling perfectly again in type what Revelation says will happen. Now, after the two witnesses did their thing in Joshua 2, we now are underway in our Joshua story. Jericho, the first city that's conquered. Now, now this gets intriguing to me. Jericho, the first city that's conquered. Jericho literally means the house of the moon god. And it's intriguing. Because when you check out this whole Jericho thing, the house of the moon god, Bet Yera, house of the moon god. We do, and I'm not going to go down this road tonight, don't have time, but we do know that this plays into what's happening in our day and certainly will increasingly so with Islam, Allah being the moon god. It's interesting to me that Jericho was the first city that was conquered. It is to this day the headquarters of the Palestinian Authority outside of the Gaza Strip. It's Jericho. Jericho, it was the first city given back to the PLO or the PA if you've been following current events. Given back. Oh, that's a whole other story. But in Joshua chapters 23 and 24, after now Jericho has fallen, it's a done deal. They continue on with the battles. The Gibeonites get saved like we talk about. They realize, wow, Joshua, that's the team that we ought to be on. And they become the hewers of wood and the carriers of water, just like the tribulation saints. Adonai Zedek appears. He's the Antichrist with his coalition of nations to wage war on these Gibeonites. But the Gibeonites are helped out and assisted by Joshua, just like the tribulation saints will be kept by the power of the Lord. They might and very well will lose their heads and lose their lives, but their souls are ushered into eternity where they'll minister in the temple of God forever and ever, day and night, you see. So the stories unfold, and again, we could 
comment on many of these, but as we now cruise through, we see the victory being secured. And we see there in Joshua chapter 21, if you want to flip there, now after seven years, the land has come under the conquest of Joshua completely. And Joshua, in chapter 21, reiterating and reminding the people as he's going to do, reminds them in verse 45, there failed not any of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Just like was promised, it all came to pass perfectly. And then he goes on to say, it's all done, but you have a role to play in chapter 23. You have seen, verse 3, all that the Lord your God has done to these nations. For the Lord your God, verse 3, is he that has fought for you. And now, verse 4, I have divided you by lot, these nations, to be an inheritance for your tribes. Verse 5, the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out, and you shall possess their land. Now listen, the tribulation period, seven years, has now come to a completion. Joshua said, God came through just like he promised to in every single way. And now you've been given land, and here's your job. Rule your land and take care of any remaining opposition. Jesus Christ, after seven years, the tribulation comes to completion. He comes back. We come back with him. We rule and reign. And he gives you and me a job to do in the next thousand years in this new land, this kingdom age called the millennium, where he divides us our inheritance. That is, each one of you, each one of us, literally, truly, are going to have a role to play in the millennium kingdom. Ruling over certain areas, having certain responsibilities, God's with you. The victory is won, and now it's your job, my job, our privileged responsibility to do what they did, that is to rule the territory. And land was divided up. You can read in the last three chapters of Ezekiel how when the Lord comes back again, he's going to divide the land of Israel. How when the Lord comes back again, land is going to be divided. And so too, not just for the Jew, that's also true, but for the whole world, we're going to rule and reign and have assignments and responsibilities just like is said here in Joshua 23. Oh, by the way, Can I put it in reverse for one moment here? We're almost done. (laughs) Adonai Zedek, this Antichrist, remember what happens? Joshua goes after him, and he hides in the caves. Tries to hide in the caves in Joshua chapter 10. But he's discovered there. In the book of Revelation, for you guys that, again, are taking notes or want to think this through, Uh, at your leisure in Revelation chapter 6 I'll read it to you the kings of the earth when the tribulation has taken place the kings of the earth the great men shall hide themselves in the rocks of the mountains and they'll say to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb
these parallels are amazing, and they are given to us so that we might be looking for the coming of our Savior. Pastor John will conclude this prophetic look at the book of Joshua on our next program. Please be sure to join us then. This teaching is also available on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. You will also find on the website Pastor John's books and other Bible study resources. Again, the address of the website is johncorson.com. That's J-O-N-C-O-U-R-S-O-N.com. We all go through challenging times in our lives, but we are not alone in these times. We have a faithful and loving God who walks with us day by day. To help us explore the faithfulness of God in these difficult times, Pastor John has made a book available called A Future and a Hope. In this book, John shares some of his personal experiences in dealing with tragedies, including the death of his young wife and later the death of his 16-year-old daughter. As John relates his own stories, we see a God who is faithful and compassionate at all times. A future and a hope is especially comforting for those who are currently experiencing tragedy or loss in their life. If you would like this book for yourself or someone you know, you can order it from our website at johncorson.com. Searchlight is a listener-supported ministry. We appreciate your prayers and support. May the Lord richly bless you 